another few hours and I'll do the whole thing. How about if I do the whole thing today and we just spend the whole day together? Do you like that idea? I know, that's pastor's joke. He's, that's his favorite. I just thought I'd dip into his humor a little bit. I think I'm going to be teaching on something that is very likely that most of you have never heard this teaching before. It's a teaching on the one new man or the one new mankind. Is there anyone who's heard a teaching on the one new man? Okay. Well, why not go there? Uh, I'm the person to do it. Uh, For the last seven years, my husband has been building a house for me. And... I'm just going to go ahead and share a little blessing that took place this last week because we were coming up against our what we call the drop dead date of April 1st. The inspectors came. There were still a few more things that were yet to be done. But the, the, the inspector called back later and said, oh, by the way, I looked at your permits. I mean, you have to understand that my husband's been like scrambling like a madman to get things done. Um, you know, during COVID, we extended all the permits for two years. So... <laughs> Anyway, so we, we praise the Lord for that. I, I do want to say that in the process of building a house, there's a lot of people and parts involved. I want to honor Brother Joe here because um, he contributed some insulation to our home. When we first moved into the house out of the, um, we were living in an RV for a while on the property. I looked at that insulation every night in my bed uh, for many years before the walls went on. So I just want to thank Brother Joe. You know, Brother Carlos up in Seattle, he, um, he installed the window where I work, my little office nook. He installed that window. And Pastor Ronnie and Pastor Marcus, they did some land clearing for us, helped us lug our bed upstairs. You know, a lot of moving parts and a lot of people involved, a lot of materials involved, and a lot of different moving parts to bring together a finished house. And... It all has to be done according to a master design. You know, the engineer's got to have her, you know, ours was a lady. She needed her requirements met, and she had to sign off on everything that we did. And the pieces all fit together, and they form a unity, which is a finished house. Now, how many of you here know that you are being built as part of a spiritual building? So... We are going to spend a lot of time today in Ephesians 2, and I'm going to go as methodically through it as I can so that we can understand what the Apostle Paul is trying to teach us about this building that we are a part of. And you'll find that there are two people groups that come together to make this building. They are the Jew and the Gentile. Now, if you look at the world today, you might wonder if the Jew has any part to play in Christianity at all, because the world is so upside down that something that started in the first century as a primarily Jewish phenomenon amongst Jews, for Jews, Jesus was a Jew, has now, because of the, well, because of God's will and the way that history has unfolded in the last 2,000 years, has become something where it's almost all Gentiles. In this room, this is probably a good uh, demographic example. My brother here is a Jew, and I'm a Jew. There might be some people with some Jewish blood, but the rest of you are Gentiles. And I want you 
to have a good sense of your identity as Gentiles. Because Paul has a warning for us. He says, do not be arrogant toward the Jews, he said. Just because you're so many, you might think that the Lord has turned them away and has rejected them. Paul says, let it not be so by no means. So we are going to discuss about these two people groups that come together to form the building. Let's start with Ephesians 2, 20 through 22, where it first talks about this building. Paul says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you, you Gentiles, are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So I know what you're thinking. You're saying, together, who's together? Who's being fitted together? And who are the parts that are being built together in Ephesians 2? So now we're going to take on the rest of Ephesians, going back to Ephesians 2.11. Do you all want to get out your Bibles and look for yourselves, or you want to follow on the board? It's up to you. We're going to go from 11 and then head back on up to 22. And I will try and explain it as well as I can. And if you have questions or feel that I'm moving too fast, you please just let me know. Remember that you, Gentiles in the flesh. Okay, so Paul is talking to the Ephesians. The Ephesians are Gentiles. He's saying you Gentiles who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Now, what's, what does that mean? Let's go back to that. Because the Jews, the sign of the covenant with Abraham was that they circumcised their sons on the eighth day. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant between God and Israel. So when the Jews talk about circum- the uncircumcised, they're talking about the Gentiles because the Gentiles are not part of that covenant. So that's what that means. The, you people who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that at that time, what time is he talking about? He's talking about when you were dead in your sins. How many people here remember when they were dead in their sins? Anybody remember when they were dead in their sins? Okay, so he's telling the Ephesians, remember, remember that when you were dead in your sins, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, they weren't part of the Jewish nation, and strangers to the covenants of promise, covenants of promise, those covenants between God and Israel through whom the promises came, Promises of what? Promises of Jesus. He's saying that these Gentiles that he's speaking to were once upon a time, they were dead in their sins, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. And what condition did that leave them in? Having no hope. 
and without God in the world. Anybody remember what that was like? What life like that was like? We got somebody shooting up their hands and the rest of you don't remember. One person shooting up his hands. Remember what it was like without hope and without God in the world. The rest of you, oh no, you don't remember that. Let's try that again. Who remembers being without hope and without God in the world? Thank you. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you Gentiles who were formerly far off from the promises of God have been brought near. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Of course, it's by the blood of Christ. What else could bring the Gentiles near to God but the blood of Christ? The blood of Christ accomplishes all for all of us, right? It goes on, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups. What are the both groups? Jew and Gentile. Thank you, sister. Help me preach today. Into one. And broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Remember in the temple, there's a wall, and the Gentiles can go in only so far, the Jews can go in further. There's a wall there in the temple in Jerusalem in Bible days. There's a wall. There's also enmity, being enemies between the Jew and the Gentile. There's enmity. This Jesus, who himself is our peace, broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity. Now here we get to a new enmity that we're going to talk about, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. That refers to all those 613 laws of the Torah. The laws of the Old Testament that the Jews had to live by. Those laws that were passed down through Moses at Mount Sinai. Those laws created enmity, not between Jew and Gentile, but between all people and God. How many people know that your sin creates enmity, makes you an enemy of God? Some, somebody pull up. I don't care who, just yell it out, Isaiah 59.2. Somebody find Isaiah 59.2, please, and read it out from the audience. Any one of you, it doesn't matter who. This is the enmity that we're now talking about. We got it in the corner. Your, your iniquities have louder, please. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that's what our sin does. Our sin makes us an enemy of God. So this man who is our peace, we read about, for he himself is our peace, he not only abolished the enmity between the Jew and the Gentile, he abolished the enmity, there's a horizontal and a vertical, the enmity between us, Jews and Gentiles together, and God. As this young gentleman has told us, our sin makes us an enemy of God. And Jesus abolished that. Where are we? So that in himself, he might make the two, Jew and Gentile, into one new man. Now we're unified. Where are we unified? We're unified at the foot of the cross. How are we unified? We're unified by the blood of Jesus. We are now one, and I called it in my title, I called it one new mankind. So there's a few different translations here of this particular 
set of words, one new humanity, one new man, one new mankind. We are a whole new, like a new species, a new kind of human being. Let's go on. Thus establishing peace so that he in himself might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God. Through what? Through the cross. By the cross, having put to death the enmity. Anybody confused? Am I going too fast? Good. And he, he, this, this uh, man who is our peace, this prince of peace, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. He preached the same thing to the Gentiles that he preached to the Jews. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints. Who are the saints at this point? He's talking about the Jews. He's talking about the Jewish believers. He's saying, you're fellow citizens with us. You are of God's household. Having been built, here we come back to that first scripture that we read about the building that we make together. When we come together, we make a special building. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Now, what would happen if there were only Jews and the Gentiles never got a chance to be saved? Would that building be complete? It wouldn't have Brother Joe's insulation in it. It wouldn't have Brother Carlos's window installed. It would be an incomplete building. And what would happen if there were no Jews in the picture? It would be incomplete. Because the, the one new humanity, the one new man, the one new mankind is made out of the two of us together. This is what he requires to build this holy temple to the Lord. So we see two groups in this passage that are being built and fitted together. One group is the Gentiles, and he describes them in the following ways. He says they're Gentiles in the flesh. That means you were born not in the lineage of Eber, who eventually begat Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, etc. You're in a different lineage in the flesh. He calls them in this passage the uncircumcision. We talked about that, that that there was this sign of the covenant that was the circumcision on the eighth day that God established with Abraham. And those who are outside of that covenant don't have the need to be circumcised. He calls you separate from Christ. That means you weren't in that picture for a while. You were separated from the, the plan of salvation of God. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, he says. Well, you know, Israel is that first nation. He wanted, God wanted to make a holy nation and a royal priesthood 
at Mount Sinai. And he created the nation Israel. That was the commonwealth of Israel. You were outside of that. Paul calls you strangers to the covenants of promise. So think about the promise that came through. The, the child of promise was Isaac. Remember? There was Ishmael and Isaac. One was the son of promise. And why was he the son of promise? Because there was a promise made to Abraham. We're going to talk about that promise. It says you are without hope and without God. We talked about that. Because anybody who's outside of Jesus and the promise of salvation is without hope and without God. He calls you far off because you were way away from the covenants. Strangers and aliens. Strangers and aliens. And the other group he talks about are the Jews, and he describes them as the circumcision because we are part of the covenant. And we follow God's ordinances by circumcising our children according to the sign of the covenant given to Abraham. The commonwealth of Israel, he calls us. That's the God-made nation of his chosen people. And he calls us those who were near. We were near to God because God promised to dwell among us. And he dwelt in the tabernacle with the Israelites in the wilderness. He dwelt in the temple in Jerusalem, right? So when these two groups come together in unity at the foot of the cross, he abolishes their enmity in his flesh by his blood. And what happens? They become one new man, one new mankind. He says that we are in one spirit. Is there one Holy Spirit for the Jews and another one for the Gentiles? No, we are in one spirit. We are united by the Holy Spirit. He calls us fellow citizens. Fellow citizens. In the kingdom of God, we are equal citizens. We have equal rights. And he calls us fitted and built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. So those are the two indispensable parts of this building. Now, Paul goes on in Ephesians 3 to talk about what he calls the mystery, which in other generations was not made known. Now, what in the world is he talking about? What's this mystery? What's this mystery? Let's read in Ephesians 3, 6, 11, and 14 and 15. To be specific, since you asked what this mystery was, let me tell you. To be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. What an amazing surprise that Gentiles are part of the body of Christ. To Paul, that was amazing. That was not what he expected. And fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. And listen to this. Paul is so shocked that there are Gentiles in the body of Christ that he says this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. God was so closely associated with the Jews for thousands of years before Jesus came along that the very idea that Gentiles would be included in God's plan of redemption was an amazing revelation of a mystery for Paul, for which he couldn't help but just get on his knees and bow before the Lord and worship. It was always God's plan 
that Jew and Gentile would be equally blessed with the salvation that is found in Christ Jesus, as Paul discovered. Because 2,000 years before Jesus was born, God gave Abraham a promise. And this is the promise of which you are heirs. I am an heir as well. His promise was that he would be blessed and would be able to bless the whole world. He was going to bless all the families of the earth. God told Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, that's no small thing. As we see that Paul didn't even understand it for a long time. It was so inconceivable. But later, you'll see how he does understand it. Um, oh, actually, let's do it right now. Galatians 3.8. Uh, this verse, to me, is, is utterly startling. He says, The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. Let's just, let's just set a moment with this. Do you hear what's being said here? Paul is saying that the scripture, and he's talking about the Old Testament, the ancient Hebrew scriptures that we call our Old Testament, preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to Abraham 2,000 years before Jesus lived. Does anybody else find that, like, really startling? To hear it that way? I'm the only one, I guess. I'm the only one startled. That what we normally consider a New Testament concept, salvation in Jesus, was preached 2,000 years before Jesus to Abraham? Okay, now anybody startled? Come on now. Be startled with me. Be startled. God outlined laws in the Old Testament that called for a certain way that the Israelites were to treat these Gentiles in their midst. Strangers and aliens, he called them. When Gentiles would come into the camp of Israel, come into the nation Israel, they had to be treated in a certain way. They were grouped together with the orphans and the widows, we find. We find strangers, aliens, orphans, widows. In other words, the Gentiles were considered sort of like an underprivileged class that had to be treated with special respect and care and graciousness because God wanted the nation Israel to be as merciful and gracious as he is. So we see in Deuteronomy 24:19, for example, when you reap the harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, just leave it there. Do not go through a second time and pick up the stuff that you dropped or lost or forgot in the field. Leave that stuff for the alien, for the orphan, for the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you. He's going to bless you because you have some generosity in your heart to take care of those who are disadvantaged. Okay? The Gentiles are part of that disadvantaged group. The stranger and the alien, along with the orphan and the widow. Let's go to Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land... You shall not reap to the very corners of the field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them 
for the needy, and for the who? Who's the stranger? Gentiles. I am the Lord your God. And that brings us to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is a love story between Jew and Gentile. It's an absolutely stunningly beautiful, tender story of Jew and Gentile coming together in love. It's no accident that the people involved are a Jew and a Gentile. It's very deliberate and it's very important to God's story of this building that's being built that Paul described, where both parts are indispensable, that all the families of the earth are blessed, not just the Jew. And don't be confused by today's church, not just the Gentile. In the book of Ruth... An alien, a stranger, a Gentile by the name of Ruth, comes to Bethlehem from the land of Moab with her mother-in-law. And she's treated with the sort of care that we just read about in that Deuteronomy and that Leviticus about don't reap the corners of your fields and don't pick up the extra sheaf, leave it for the alien. Well, she's an alien and she's treated with that kind of gracious, merciful honoring in her disadvantaged condition and she's allowed to glean barley from the barley fields. It's a barley harvest when they come to Jerusalem. And we see in this, I hope I can convey how beautiful this is, how a command to Israel regarding how to treat the aliens who are not of Israel blossoms into a story of the one new man, the one new mankind, with Jew and Gentile partaking together of God's promise. And it had such a kicker of an ending. It's just, we probably won't get to it today. In fact, well, I'll just keep going as long as I can. And we'll pick up whenever next time is. Naomi, how many people have read the book of Ruth? Many have, many have not. Well, it uh, bears retelling, doesn't it? Naomi was a Jew, and she and her husband and her two sons went away from Bethlehem because there was a famine. And that might have been their first mistake. They maybe should have stayed. A lot of other people apparently stayed and survived, but they left for whatever their reason is. And then they went to Moab, and then her husband died. Her two sons married. They each married Moabite women, but then the sons died. So we have these three bereaved women. And Naomi is so disillusioned and so crushed by these losses. Anybody know what it means to lose people you love? Okay. Do you start to wonder, why is God doing this to me? (laughs) Brother Joe doesn't. Maybe others do. Why me, God? God's against me. God's dealing bitterly with me, is how Naomi put it. She didn't even want to be called Naomi anymore because her name, Naomi, means pleasant. She said, I'm not pleasant anymore. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Call me bitter. Because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. 
So she's des- des- definitely, uh, what would you call it, feeling alienated from God because of the way that he's treated her. She even suggests that her two daughters-in-law go back. She doesn't just say, go back to your families. I can't provide another husband for you. She, she actually says, go back to your families and your gods. She tells them to go back to their gods. That's how much faith she has in our God. She's deeply disillusioned. One daughter-in-law, Orpah, takes her advice. And the name Orpah means the back of the neck. So we see that she turned her back on Naomi and went back to her people. But the other one, Ruth, and the name Ruth means friendship. She clung to her mother-in-law. And these are her words in Ruth 1. These are the most beautiful words that a Gentile can say to a Jew. Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. In other words, I don't want to go back to my gods. They're not real. I want your God. I want the God of Israel. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse if anything but death parts you and me. So we know of Ruth as being someone who gleaned in the fields. But I'm here to say that she was already gleaning in the spiritual fields before they even got back to Bethlehem. Because we have to imagine that for her to fall in love with our God, there had to be some demonstration of his goodness and his greatness. Maybe the family was a worshipful family. Even though we see Naomi in a very discouraged condition, we have to imagine that the years that they spent together, there was some teaching about the God of Israel. Maybe there was Bible study in the home. Maybe they read Deuteronomy together. Maybe they prayed together. There was, there was some sense that this is a good God and I want to be associated with this God. Why would I go back? We, we think of the words of Peter when Jesus sees all the people leaving him because they don't like his teaching. And Jesus says to Peter, are you, are you leaving too? And Peter says, where would I go? You have the words of life. Where in the world else can we go? We have no other option. We are already wedded to the best there is. We have God. And that's where she was at. That's where Ruth was at. So even though her mother-in-law, Naomi, was deeply discouraged with her God, Ruth was in love with her God. And encouraged her in that. And we see that in my marriage. I didn't know my God. My husband knew my God. My husband taught me about my God. He's Ruth. I'm Naomi. We think of it that way. We seriously do. This is the important role that the Gentile plays in the life of the Jew. 
Paul tells us that the Gentile can provoke the Jew to jealousy. That's a good jealousy where we say, what do you have that I don't have? Wait a minute. It's the, it's the exact experience I had when I walked in this church 20 years ago and there was a man up here talking about Moses. And I said, why does he care about Moses? We're, we're the Moses people, not him. How come he's memorized scripture? How come he studies scripture? How come he teaches scripture? And I don't even know my own scripture. And he does. And I was provoked, just as Paul says, I was provoked to jealousy because Pastor Fred Small had my God and I didn't. And that was a biblical ministry that Fred probably didn't know in that moment that he was ministering in that way. He was ministering according to Paul in Romans. You know, we're getting toward the end, so I'm going to save the rest of the book of Ruth for next time. I certainly hope that you'll come back. But um, I really just pray right now that... um, that you understand the bigger picture of God's plan of redemption. It's for all of humanity. God has not erased the Jew from his plan of redemption just because we missed. Yes, we did. We did miss the day of our visitation, as Jesus said. But what else did Jesus say when we missed the day of our visitation? He said, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I would have longed to gather you together as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not have it. Jesus wanted the Jews. The Jews rejected him in large part. Certainly, if we look at the world now, there's maybe, I don't know, 30,000? I don't know how many Jewish believers there are in the world, but it's a tiny percentage. But again, take Paul's warning. Don't be arrogant toward the Jews. He says, their root supports you. You don't support them. Their root supports you. If you read Romans 9, 10, and 11, you're going to get a very strong sense from Paul about his feelings about the Jewish people. Paul even says that he would be willing to give up his salvation if it meant that his people were saved. So this is something that's important to God. And I hope that uh, it gives you a sense of your identity as a Gentile, having been brought into the covenant, having been brought into the commonwealth of Israel, and uh, maybe a way to pray for the Jewish people, that they would be saved. If you've got a dentist or a bookkeeper or your neighbor or somebody in your life, they want to hear the gospel. They need it just the way you did. They are just as separated. This gentleman read from... Isaiah 59, 2, their sin is separating them from God, just like yours did. Pray for them. Pray for them. Care about them, because I'll tell you what, Jesus is not coming back until they cry out, Baruch Hashem Adonai, which is blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is not coming back until the Jews cry out to God. Did you know that? Jesus is not coming back until the Jews cry out to God corporately. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's just read that and then we'll end. And that's Matthew, I believe it's 
23:39. For I say to you, Jesus speaking, from now on you will not see me until you say, you Jews say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that your word has a wholeness and a cohesiveness that has meaning for Gentiles and Jews together. That you've brought us together and you have overcome our enmity from one another against one another and our enmity together against you. You have brought us together, O oh God, by your holy word, by your blood. We just thank you and we bless you, O oh God. We thank you. I thank you for the people groups of the world that you established beforehand. You established where people would be born and where they would live. You established the nations. You established all the people of the earth. And you picked one people to be your royal priesthood, and we failed so miserably, Lord God. Let it be that that we are a lesson book for the rest of the world to see what failure looks like. But, Lord God, it's not our failure, but your victory that will prevail in the long run. You are going to bring us in, and we know that. And we know that and we love you for it, oh God. And I just pray for my Jewish people right now that the eyes of the Jews would be opened and that the eyes of the Gentiles would be opened to care about the Jewish people. Let it not be that they don't care. Let it not be that they're arrogant toward the, the root that supports them, oh God, as Paul says. Let it be that they are with a heart of compassion and love for the ones who brought through the, the promises and the oracles and the, the covenants and all those things which have brought us all at the foot of the cross by your blood to Jesus in one spirit, as that passage says, in one spirit. Thank you for that. Thank you for your work. Thank you, God. Amen.